0: You can also gain access to our found footage show, the Weird Tape series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...
3: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Rusty Quill Presents
4: I laid my power into the bed where it lay in my cold white room. And, just as I expected, nothing happened. The way between the beds was closed, shut out by the nullifying powers of the pale stone walls. That meant that sugar had gained access to my room some other way. I was betting that he used the decoherence effects given off by the machines that amplified and directed the psychotype's minds. He must have slipped in during our trip into the Bolgia, which was a good thing to know if I ever needed to get into or out of the place in a pinch. Aside from the impromptu magic tricks Isaiah asked me to perform after we first arrived, I hadn't really tested my limitations inside the silentage. Despite the success I'd managed with any object not carved from the pale rock, I had no idea how far I could stretch my mind. As it was, I couldn't detect anyone sleeping anywhere around me, which I knew was a faulty reading as most of the staff was likely asleep. To say nothing of the hypnopaths quartered well within my normal range of detection. I was curious if the psychotypes had been taken out of Maynard's puzzle box, now that they were all safely tucked behind the prevailing walls of the silentage. While I didn't feel too bad for the exopaths, I couldn't help but pity the rest of them. They were just victims, victims no one was trying to help, just test subjects for the purpose of learning about the Dim. I understood the reasoning behind the whole thing well enough, but it still seemed cruel. Their bodies shuffled around like puzzle pieces to see what changes to reality the new patterns might yield, not a thought paid to the price the actual persons might pay for the effort. It didn't take too long for Isaiah to go on walkabout. So after I heard him leave the apartment, I decided to sneak out and do some snooping of my own. My brother's footsteps were loud enough to judge the direction he'd headed, so I went the opposite way. I wasn't big on leaving him out of the picture, but I had my own interest to pursue, and I didn't want to be bothered explaining myself. (laughs) A feeling I think we had in common, but that didn't mean I liked lying to him. The inside of my head was the last place I wanted to be after that damn gray clown wrenched tears from my goddamn skin. Sure, I'd grab some sleep when the time came, but I'd be staying in the shallows of the sleepscape for the foreseeable future, at least until things had a chance to settle down a bit. That was if I had any choice in the matter. God only knew when things would go sideways again, and I'd be forced to take the plunge back into the deep end. The silentage was even more vast than I thought. Massive hallways wandering without end, rooms the size of concert halls, domed ceilings like solid white skies. Mesmer's operation seemed confined only to a tiny portion of the place, with the staff wing located just beside the main areas of operation. I was surprised he hadn't warned us not to wander too far, as a person could easily get lost in the place. Before I knew it, I was inside some kind of gallery. Strange statues spread out all around me. They were pure white and vaguely humanoid, but with little detail to set them apart or suggest more than a passing flirtation with the human form. And I could hear ticking. The steady movements of a giant clock, though none were present. It was also appreciably colder than the previous rooms, but most of all, it exuded hostility. Taking a few steps back from the statues, I heard even more sounds. Machinery. Though it lacked the gruff noises of clanking metal and churning motors, it was more like a machine of ice. The cold precision of frozen moving parts, all of them chiming, singing together in an unseen enterprise. More than making up the distance, the room seemed to shrink around me as I backpedaled. The cold mechanical music grew in volume, as if trying to subsume me within its invisible sonic machinery. I wasn't certain if the room or the music, or quite possibly both, were actually closing on me, or if it was just my mind, still broken where the grey clown had assailed it. I was in no mood to stand there and sort things out, so I just ran away. but not back through the gigantic twisting corridors or past the massive domed rooms. They were gone. In only a few steps, I found myself back in front of our apartment as if I'd only moved a few feet from my door. I glared at the spaces around me, hoping to detect some anomaly or another, my eyes frosting the cold walls in blue light. But there was nothing, just the rambling white stone of a palace made for mundanity, a place where chicanery of the kind I'd just experienced wasn't supposed to happen. Is everything all right? You look pale. Oh, Dr. Haskell, I I guess I was just a little confused. I went down the wrong hall, (laughs) just managed to find my way back. (laughs) You must be careful here. The mystery of the Silent Church is as formidable as any obscurum. There is still much we must learn about it. So I gather. Though I am glad to find you out and about, I wanted to ask you in person about your recently departed friend, Dr. Voivod. We've contacted his handler in New Victoria, and he apparently has no remaining family to receive his remains. However, when they learned of your presence here, we were directed to consult you concerning his final arrangements. I'm sure you'd like to think on the matter, but I wanted to inform you personally of the development. And of course, you have my deepest sympathies for your loss. Thank you, Doctor. I appreciate that. <sighs> well, as for his remains, uh, I'm sure, given the circumstances, he'd prefer to be cremated. <laughs> Loathe, though, I am to say that word, given our last assignment. We do have a small cremation oven here, for a good number of reasons that I'm sure you can deduce. I can make arrangements for the body now, if you'd like. Please, if you could arrange it for tomorrow night, that would be appreciated. I'd like to be present for it. Certainly. Uh, by the way, now that I have you here, are the psychotypes held in a bank of Maynard's puzzle boxes, or does confining them behind Pale Stone do the trick? The Pale Stone confinement chambers are sufficient for most, though some of the exopsychotics require a bit more finagling. Why do you ask? Just curious. And thank you, Doctor. I really appreciate you coming to tell me about Yuri. That was very thoughtful. It's a cold place here, Agent Stroud. I've learned that just a little bit of consideration goes a long way to keep the frost from settling in. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must get back to the lab. Of course, Doctor. I felt terrible for forgetting about Yuri, his body just lying in the crypt somewhere. But with everything that had happened, I hadn't really had a chance to reflect on much, let alone properly mourn my friend. I had no idea that he was all alone, no one even to collect his ashes or arrange a funeral. Well, he had me, and I'd make damn sure he received a proper ceremony when we were back stateside. And I still had no idea what even happened to him, though it was possible the other hypnopaths might provide a clue, or even better yet, another conversation with the cellar king. From what Haskell said, it was, in fact, the pale matter keeping my mind from reaching out and not the puzzle boxes. Seemed the stone functioned as a legit physical barrier to my mind's command of a dream. But that wouldn't stop me from peeking into the dreams of the staff. Some of the workers were techs and even low-level scientists. Their dreams could afford me some useful insight into what went on in the place, especially as it concerned the psychotypes. Granted, while I was sure I could get the info from Mesmer or Haskell, I preferred to get my reads from the horse's mouth <laughs> or dreams as the case may be. The staff wing was in one of the outer tower-like structures, which could be accessed either by the long way, traveling through the underground tunnels where they connected to the silentage proper, or the short way, the makeshift hallway that had been rigged from aluminum scaffolding and thermal sheeting. The latter route cut directly across the courtyard, the snow and wind battering the sides of the provisionary tunnel. I took the shortcut. Even if only through the small plastic windows punctuating the billowing hallway, I needed to see the other side of the white walls. Granted, I could only make out the miasma of driven snow where it whipped past the plastic panes, but it was enough. Only a couple hours in the silentage and I was ready to run screaming from the place. After I'd gotten to about the middle of the plastic and aluminum tunnel, I realized I'd forgotten about what the gray clown had done to me how predisposed I was to see what was hidden inside of me, outside of me. Pent in the endless white of a perpetual snowstorm was my mother, twirling in a long, pale gown. The snow turned crimson wherever her ragged skirts fluttered, and somehow the howling wind became the sound of a wailing baby. When she finally stopped twirling, she smiled poisonously through the plastic divider just before Yuri melted from beyond the curtain of white snow behind her, his entrails dragging behind him, more red snow. Lovingly, he put his hands around her shoulders and joined her in a smile. Then, despite the divider and howling bluster, I heard them plain as day when they said,
1: We we died died for you, you, Rosemary. Just Just for for
4: you. you. I shook off the vision, replacing the grinning dead with freezing winter whites, the snow returning to its previous color and fury. The staff wing wasn't much different from the central body of the Silent just slightly smaller overall. It was also fairly empty, as most of the staff was busy crunching the numbers from our foray into the Grey Bolgia, hoping to get everything in order for this Spider Black character, whenever he decided to show. Though it wasn't completely vacated, some of the personnel on the opposite side of the work rotations were power napping and I could make out the flitting shapes of dream even from the hallway. Eager to replace the vision of my mother and Yuri, I made my way past the first open door and glimpsed at the sights beyond sleep. The first dreamer was an engineer perhaps, given that he was walking a path through a strange forest of machines. The mechanical foliage was completely white, sterile even. At the end of the path, I could see a massive shape, something white and corpulent. It was a vast woman whose bulk was concentrated entirely within her torso, as her legs and arms were little more than whited bones. She seemed to look at me, perhaps the dreamer's deepest intuition, realizing that he was no longer alone in the dream looking more closely at the massive female thing, which seemed like a corruption of the earth goddess Gaia. Its flesh seemed to shift and tremble in places. It was as if from somewhere close to the surface of her skin, machine parts busied themselves within the orderly process of supplying the creature animation, if not life. And then there was that ticking I'd heard from before, followed by the presence of deepest cold even more biting than the Arctic winds I was becoming slightly accustomed to. I pressed my power deeper into the dream, but as my mind drew closer, the scene shifted away from the white mechanical forest, becoming a room crowded with more traditional looking machines, all of them blinking and beeping, the dreamer moving to adjust their multitudinous settings. With the shift in dream imagery, gone was the steady ticking and soul deep cold just bygone phantoms once wrapped in a dream. This new dream was prosaic enough, if such a thing can be said of a dream, as it lacked any of the originality of the prior, recalling merely the doldrums of the man's work. The overlap between the ticking from the dream and my own recent experience with it suggested a feature to the silentage itself. As Haskell rightly pointed out, The Silent was an obscurum, and nearly all of them kept some secret or another, and not many of those secrets boded well for those who plumbed them. Moving on to the next room, I encountered a more ghastly scene, a room filled with corpses, all of them sliced to hell and back. The Dreamer, a young woman, was backed against one of the white walls of the Silent Her panicked, tearful gaze pinned to an advancing shape. A madman with red-rimmed eyes and bared teeth, his tongue writhing within his open, drooling mouth. It was a fairly sure bet the man was an exopath. I could almost feel the heat from the madman's glare, where it fell hot and hunting across the poor woman's body. Normally, I'd spare the dreamer this kind of fright, dissolve the nightmare, and allow a new, hopefully happier dream to take its place. But I needed this to play out, see what sort of businesses people got up to.
2: Did you think taking my blades away would make me any less lethal? Poor stupid little doctor. I call upon the spirits of cleaved flesh. Fashion my blades from the invisible world. You can't see them. But they cut no less deep. Soon, you will know the truth of it.
4: I stopped the dream just as the Exo moved in for the kill. There was no need to put her through that, especially when I could guess the outcome. With the dream dispersed, her mind worked quickly to cohere a new one. The resulting vision was dark, despite the white walls that girded it. She was in a massive basement, or crypt, and the voice that floated out from the darkness was a familiar one.
2: Dr. Barlow, so you've returned to interview me again, eh? To wade through the molten waves of the great unconscious.
4: I just ask the questions they give me and record your answers, Mr. Pills. Provided, of course, you deign to supply any.
2: It's actually Dr. Pills, if you'd be so kind.
4: Your academic credentials were revoked once you started butchering people, I'm afraid. So it's just Mr. now. Or would you prefer the Cellar King?
2: Butchering indeed. <laughs> and you're supposed to be a psychologist? I suppose you flunked your class on Jung, yes? But never you mind. Mr. Pills will do just fine. And, since your higher-ups do so enjoy my little magic tricks, I'd be delighted to further entertain them. So please, ply me with these questions of yours.
4: Assuming you've read the file concerning the findings of the magic lantern ritual, what do you make of it?
2: Ah, prophecy. Would you like to know how that little parlor trick works? I can see by that dull stare of yours that you're brimming with curiosity and enthusiasm. You see, there is no real manifest future to gaze upon. Nostradamus didn't look into the future when he spied the end of all things. He deduced it. Except he did so by employing the contemplative powers of billions and billions of minds, having tapped into the vast human unconscious. That kind of computational chutzpah can easily deduce, or at least closely approximate, what's likely to happen, even within the farthest flung future. So... What does that say about the magic shadows on the wall, you ask? Well, it all depends, really, on what variables were and were not accounted for. Nostradamus did misspell Hitler, after all. But I would surmise that shadows cast upon a wall, even by the fires of a magic lantern, no less, may not necessarily nor accurately predict the object that casts them. Was that vague enough for you, dear? I really don't want to have to spell everything out, you know.
4: Okay. I'll indicate that you're not entirely confident in the findings of the ritual, and that they may need to be more heavily scrutinized for accuracy.
2: That's fine, Dr. Barlow. You do that.
4: Now, what about this Rosemary Stroud? Do you think she has any chance at a normal life after all this is over and done with? I mean, what with her horrible family lineage and all? And let's not forget her brother, a half-monster entirely incapable of empathy. I couldn't figure what was happening. Was this still a dream? Was the sleeping woman somehow tapping into my own mind, or was it actually the Cellar King?
2: Oh, I'm afraid things don't look too good for her at all. I don't need to be a prophet to see how her story ends. Poor girl. She doesn't even know where she is. And time is running out. You can practically hear the seconds counting down, can't you? Tick tock,
4: tick tock. I quickly injected myself into the dream, appearing next to the psychologist. It's you, isn't it? You're really in here with me. How are you getting past all the pale matter?
2: So, Doctor, is that all you wanted to ask of me?
4: Cut the bullshit, Pills. I know it's really you. What advice would you give, Romy, given her current situation? I looked down at the notebook in the psychologist's hands. There were no notes, just a drawing. A child's sketch of a little boy dressed in blue and a little girl all in pink. Fly wings poking up from their backs. They were trapped in a web. A massive spider advancing out from its uppermost corner.
2: Oh, that's easy, Doctor. Why, I'd tell her to run. Run like hell.
3: <laughs> the Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anselon. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content, such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Meltopia.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over
4: time.